Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop, your home for Iowa State football, basketball, and recruiting talk. Here are your hosts, 24-7 Sports' Alex Halstead and the Cedar Rapids Gazette's Dylan Montz. Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halstead, joined by Dylan Montz, and we join you after Iowa State's deflating, I guess you could call it, 44-41 loss to Iowa. Iowa State had a 10-point lead with just under 12 minutes ago, uh, but they can't hold on. That's five one-square losses since Matt Campbell's arrived, and that's still kind of the little thing they're still trying to get over is finish some of those games. And uh, Dylan, the word after the game was detail. Um, I kind of just, we didn't obviously listen to every second of interviews afterwards, but uh, between Campbell and the five or six players that we talked to, uh, the word detail was thrown around at least 15 times. So that was kind of the the word for why they thought they lost this game. Yeah, there are drops, there are missed tackles. They're just those little things that have to be cleaned up. And in a game like that where it's so back and forth and so high scoring, it's kind of funny. There's just so much – there was so much offense yesterday, but it just comes down to these couple plays that really make the difference when, when both offenses kind of have it going. But, yeah, they had, they had the opportunity to go and win that, certainly up 10, but then even – in overtime when they went there, Keen Butler had a key drop there. Had he caught it, uh, would have been for a first down and said Iowa stayed up for a touchdown instead of going for a field goal. So there was a lot of certainly disappointment with losing a game like that. And like you mentioned, they have done that a lot in, in Matt Campbell's first year. Um, this, this was a little bit different of a sense for me just because of how the players and Campbell himself had perspective on it and were able to pinpoint things. And um, it was just kind of a, a different feeling post-game press conference than maybe what it was in the past. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit more upbeat. You couldn't tell as much that it was a loss, I think partially because Iowa State did win the opener. They're 1-1 one one going into uh, an Akron game that we'll talk about here a little later. And so there's a little bit more positivity and forward-looking and forward-thinking but at the same time, I don't know if I'll ever bet that Iowa State's going to win one of these games until they finally do it. I mean, they just continue to find ways to lose them. Like Alan Lazard said, they he didn't think they got beat as much as they lost that game. And it cont- continues to be the same thing, even though it feels a little bit different than, for sure, Oklahoma State or um, Baylor last year. And it's much different than Kansas State or UNI last year, the, the other two games they lost by one score, because those ones they were coming back or didn't play well at times. Uh, there's just things that you have to be able to win games when you're up 10 uh, with, I think it was 11.46 to go. And that's a lot of time, uh, you know, especially in that kind of scoring game. But, you know, I was trying to think, you know, earlier about some of the maybe defining moments of the game that could have flipped things the other way. And you mentioned uh, the Hakeem Butler first down catch uh, that he dropped that would have been right inside the five. They probably most likely, you think, uh, score a touchdown to open overtime. And even if Iowa scores that other overtime touchdown, they have to go back on offense right away. That was one that stood out to me. Obviously, the Jacob Park interception, I went back and watched that replay and kept trying to slow it down. And it looked like kind of a fluke play where they just kind of he jumped in front of the gap and, and intercepted that. That was one. Um, they settled for a field goal early in the game. And then, like you said, there were just drops throughout the game. But there were just so many little plays that if they make them, uh, they probably win that game. But at some point, they have to make them. They can't keep saying – you know, like David Montgomery said, we've got to get over the hump or another close loss because it's been close losses for four years now. Uh, part of them a different staff and for different reasons. But at some point, they just have to make those plays. Yeah, you can only talk about we're going to do it or here's how we're going to do it so many times. You actually got to go out and do it and accomplish it. But, yeah, it was just 
for as much as they did right, there were those things that just kind of kept them, you know, held them back. Iowa was able to obviously make enough plays to go and win the game. And one of the other big ones, and not to harp on too many of these plays, but that Wadley play at the end when he rushes for 40, or I guess it was on a slant pass, but 46 yards. Joel Lanning talked about that after the game saying uh, he had him right in his arms and that's the tackle he'll, he'll think about for the rest of his, his career or the football life, however he phrased it. But it's just something that's going to stick in his mind. And then um, not having Kamari Cotton Moya out there probably um, had a little bit to do with that too. The Lawrence White was in there as a young safety kind of um, forced to stop him and it wildly kind of slipped through his arms too. But there are just these these defining moments for the game. But in talking to these guys, the the challenge now is to not have it define the season and have it snowball into more losses. And and that's what Matt Campbell kind of mentioned too, is what's going to really tell them a lot about what this team is like is how they come back and prepare and certainly how they go and play against Akron. Because uh, like I said, as many good things as happened, there were these, these, you know, defining moments of the game that really kind of, have, have creeped up in, in other instances here throughout uh, the last couple of years. So it's just eliminating those, and then you're putting yourself in a good spot to not only talk about going to win these games, but actually going and doing it. Yeah, I was actually thinking, like I said earlier, about the different defining plays, and I think there were – I was trying to think of five, and you mentioned the Wadley one that went with, like I said, the Jacob Park interception, um, you know, and, and those other plays. The one other one then, too, was – David Montgomery runs for 36 yards. You get to midfield, and then the offense just stagnates there. And I think that actually included another drop. Uh, they probably had a handful of drops throughout the game. Depends how you want to define them. A couple of them were were tough catches, and I think Park had a couple errant throws at times. But I don't know why the, the drops, because, like, Hakeem Butler's in overtime, not saying it was – he did have a guy coming to hit him eventually, but the 74-yard touchdown that he caught, I would almost think that that would be – that's when you have a ball coming ball. at you and there's nobody around you and you know you have to catch it to go 74 yards for the touchdown, to me, and I, I'm not out there catching the ball, but that was that's the play that would make me nervous as a receiver is uh, if you drop that, you just get you just lost a 74-yard game-changing touchdown. And that was a huge play. And he had another one that was actually wide open that was probably nerve-wracking um, for sure for people watching and maybe Hakeem himself. Um, he was the one right that caught the fourth and – one that they threw instead of everyone thought they were going to probably run and they threw it over the top. So he had some big catches and then he, he drops that one and that just happens. But I think for fans, it's just like, when's it going to stop? Because Carson Epps had, you remember last year against Oklahoma state, I think it was the fumble or the drop. And it's just little things. It's like at some point those have to just not happen. And, and they um, win those games. And if, if they score a touchdown there, they still might not win that game. It's just the fact that if you kick an over a uh, field goal in overtime, chances are you're probably going to end up losing the game, and especially with the way Iowa was scoring at that point. And that's the thing. Iowa had really started to find something then, and that ground game really kind of took off towards the end. And, you know, Wadley played really well, obviously, and was a nice um, counter to what David Montgomery was able to do for Iowa State. But you and I talked about it off the mic. It's really kind of crazy how much the narrative changes if, if Iowa State pulls that out. If they pull it out, we're talking about the resiliency. We're talking about how they're able to close these games now. We're talking about how well Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery played, how, how many touchdown passes Jacob Park threw despite these mistakes and these drops. But uh, when you come out on the short end of it, you're talking about these details that have to be cleaned up, and that's just the nature of the winning and the losing. But um, I, I think it's certainly discouraging to see them lose another game like that, but I think there are a lot of encouraging pieces. I think 
We've talked about this too, maybe other times on the program. The talent's there. I, th- I think that's evident. David Montgomery is is running like no other Iowa State running back since certainly you and I have been covering the team. Jacob Park looks as good as any Iowa State quarterback we've been around and better. Um, just some of the throws he is able to make at times. And, and like you said, he did have some errant passes, but overall played really solid. And there's some talent on the defense too. Marcel Spears had 17 tackles was really solid throughout the game so there are pieces of talent there but again it just all comes back to eliminating those little mistakes and then you find yourself right there to go actually win these games now yeah I was making notes throughout the game on my computer and I was deleting them after the game today and um, there were different points that I was making different types of notes when they were down 21 to 10 and then they score three consecutive touchdowns and they retake the lead 31 to 21 the narrative completely changed there, but a couple of the notes I had made was that I, this team, whether they won or lost at this point, because I didn't know what was going to happen with the outcome, that they had shown to me at least that they could be more competitive in the Big 12 and that, like you said, they're a lot more resilient because when they're down 21 to 10 and uh, get the ball and the, their offense had not been doing anything really, they could have kind of started to go the way they've gone in the past. And instead, they scored, like I said, three consecutive touchdowns. The defense came up with a big three and out. Uh, highlighted by Marcel Spears having all three tackles or being in on all three. They did things that showed like this does look like a different mentality, at least, which Matt Campbell's talked about. It's just still figuring out how they get, they're they going to finish games. But those were some of the notes I actually made were that it just feels like they're so much more competitive um, or at least a lot closer than they were, you know, 364 days ago, which is obvious when, you know, the game we saw versus the game we saw in Iowa City last year. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see which way they do go from here. And like you said, it's crazy how different the story changed in probably a minute and 15 seconds. You know, when Iowa State got the ball with, I don't know how much time was left, but they, they went three and out and punted it to Iowa with a couple minutes. They made Iowa use all three timeouts. The play calling, I don't think was terrible there because you do want to probably make Iowa use all, um, all three of those timeouts, like Alan Lazard said, if they get a first down there, they win the game. They just couldn't break either run. The screen pass kind of got um, stuck, and and they end up punting. And it was kind of on the defense. They give up the 46-yard run, or I guess catch and run to Akram Wadley. So they had chances to win that game. And it's just those two series, offense couldn't quite get the first down. Defense missed tackles and uh, kind of broke coverage on a couple plays. And Iowa went right down the field. But they kind of set it up perfectly to win. But at some point, they just have to kind of close that game out when they had them kind of where they wanted them up 10 and just let a few things go yeah I think that's that's the key we talked about the drops but then it's just the Iowa State defense as talented as they have been at times in these first two games um, you know we talked about the the turnovers they were able to force in the UNI game weren't able to get any against Iowa but those just long really punishing drives that Iowa was able to go on. It was it was three or four that were more than 85 yards. So these just really long, draining drives. And that's kind of the style that Iowa wanted to do. And that's how um, somehow they were able to kind of climb back in with that 10-point um, deficit that they had. But there, there were mistakes, but I don't think it's and, – and Matt Campbell talked about this too. It wasn't the, the lack of effort or anything he saw. It was just the fine details. And then that's a word we're starting to use a lot now. But that's just – that's what it is. It's it's these little small plays that um, are insignificant maybe in the moment. A drop in the second quarter doesn't loom large at the time, but later in the game you're like, what if 
he would have caught that. What if it was another first down? It would have taken more time off the clock or you could perhaps go and score. So just those little moments that, that add up in the end of the game and, and possibly flip it for you where it, it takes you from uh, coming up short three points in overtime or, or winning in regulation even. Yeah, Iowa had touchdown drives of 76, 91, 94, 92. But those ones that were 91, 94, 92 took, you know, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, slightly over each each three times. And when Iowa State, like I said, went three and out on that last true possession of regulation for them and they punted it away, well, they pinned Iowa deep at their own 11. And you're thinking there's not enough for the way their long drives have gone. You know, things have at least set up well for the defense. But then you give up 89 yards in seven plays in under two minutes. And it's just like the defense kind of got worn down. They, they played really well at times and had some really good defensive stands. But then at times you could just tell that they were um, a little worn out. So that's kind of some of the, I guess, the more negative side of the game. There were some positives even when you lose. I mean, um, Iowa, you know, has a good defense. And Iowa State was able to put up yards and points against them. Uh, and those sorts of things. I guess, you know, that was kind of highlighted by David Montgomery. Uh, I looked up, and since the beginning of last year, Iowa's played, obviously, 15 games. And um, seven of those 15 games, the entire team they played against hasn't rushed for 110 yards. They've rushed for less than that. And uh, David Montgomery rushed for 112 on on his own on 20 carries and uh, 5.6 yards a carry. And the 36-yard run that we talked about earlier, or at least mentioned earlier, that obviously was a highlight. I think I counted six um, missed tackles on that one when I went back and watched that today. And uh, it's just kind of the same thing we saw against you and I, except for a longer run. And he did a little bit something different. It's like we keep seeing something different. I think at some point we'll, we won't ask as much about him in terms of players of what is this guy doing because it'll just become normal. But even from what we saw last year, he seems like a different running back, and we're seeing more of his skill set in the first two games this year than we saw at the end of last year. Yeah, it's just an, it, it was incredible to watch him, and and like I said earlier, he just looks like a different running back than Iowa State's had in in tons of more than ten years, fifteen years even. He's just he the way he can fight through contact and and get around guys. He he's the the running type of running back you want he he can do about anything you want he can catch the ball he had what was it he had five catches and 53 yards so and that's another part of his skill set that the coaching staff has raved about at times how good his hands are and he just was able to do a little bit of everything and there on his seven yard touchdown run uh he fought through on the left side and uh you know overcame a face mask because somebody uh ripped his face mask to the left and he's able to kind of bolt through into the end zone over Josie Jewell. Uh, so it, it was just, it was incredible to watch him again. Uh, you know, a, a guy that really kind of helped get the Iowa State offense going a little bit when it was, it was a little bit stagnant at times. And, and um, you know, like I said, was just really kind of able to carry the group a bit. So uh, another really special performance for him. And, you know, maybe at, at some point that just kind of becomes normal a little bit, but um, these first two weeks have been have been really good and uh, have kind of set a tone for for expectations for him. And you know there were all the comparisons to Kareem Hunt, who was under Campbell at Toledo. Um, you know, and as, as the game kind of wore on, uh, the comparisons kind of seemed uh, realistic a little bit. And he still has a lot of football to play ahead of him in college. But it was it, he's had a really good start to his sophomore season, and that was the key. He's got 194 yards. I think he's averaging um, one or 5.7 yards per carry right now. Through his career, though, and obviously he played quite a bit down the stretch last year, he's averaging 5.3 yards a carry. He's 
like you said, we saw Mike Warren rush for 1,200 yards, but his 1,200 just came different. He was a really good running back that freshman year, but Montgomery just looks like a different type of runner that we've seen be able to juke and stuff and also um, push for – I think it, when I went back and watched it a couple of times, it looked like he took Josie Jewell two yards. So he can do different types of things. And obviously, if he can stay healthy, he could be um, a really good running back this year, but in the next couple years as well. Jacob Park played well as as well. There was a couple stretches. There was a stretch where he was, you know, through six consecutive incompletions, and then there's one at the end of the game where, you know, like five of his six or five of his seven passes were incomplete. But other than those two stretches, um, which I think is just him getting more consistent, and you're not going to complete every pass, but other than a couple stretches, he looked really good at times, uh, 347 yards, and four touchdowns a lot of those yards are probably after the catch when you think about the one Hakeem Butler had for 74 yards but you know he made the throws he needed to make he didn't make a lot of mistakes you know the interception even he said that he doesn't necessarily think he didn't think it was a bad play necessarily as as much as them just reading it and he said they've done that play or in practice or whatever and it hasn't ever been jumped like that and uh it was just read I guess well by the Iowa defense and the good news there for Iowa State was that it ended up just being a field goal instead of a touchdown, although that field goal couldn't make the difference. Um, but for the most part, he looked good, and he's looked good in, in two games. His completion percentage was you know, quite a bit lower this game, but I think the first game was like 77%. So he continues to look good, and uh, you know, I, it's hard to say on pace you know, two games into the year, but you know, he's at least starting to show that he could put up some of those, not maybe the 4,000 yards he uh, set his goals at at media day, but he could put up some numbers we haven't really seen from Iowa, many Iowa State quarterbacks if the the passing game continues to click like it has the first two weeks. Yeah, he does look pretty comfortable out there, and some of those lulls that you talked about could just be the drops again that we talked about too. And there were some some uh, throws he kind of sailed on some guys, and, and some of those were just the drops. But I thought he looked really comfortable out there, and a lot of credit I think uh, not to sound too much like a player, but has to go to the offensive line. They've done a really good job of protecting him so far through the first two weeks, and that was a big key and somewhat of an unknown. You know you had the veterans like uh, Jake Campos and even Julian Jones, even though he's just a sophomore, you could kind of consider a veteran just by how much he played last year. But they've done a really good job of keeping him upright for the most part, and I think he's really been able to kind of settle into the pocket and, and find those guys. But he has made some really tough throws too. Uh, the one – uh, the first touchdown to Alan Lazard in the end zone and in the corner of the end zone, he really kind of had to put in just a certain little window. And that was a heck of a catch by Lazard, but he put it right on the money for him to go get it. And then that, that ball he dropped into Hakeem Butler on the 70 yard, 74 yard touchdown was, was a really well thrown too. So he's putting up some good numbers, looks comfortable. And that's the key. The key is just to, for the offensive line to keep doing what they're doing, keep them upright. Um, they handled Iowa, Iowa's um, front seven really well, and that was kind of a big storyline going into about how how that front seven could maybe exploit some of those those weaknesses that Iowa State uh, supposedly had. But I thought they held their own really well, and um, that bodes well again for for the rest of the season. Yeah, we're two games into the season, and against the same two teams Iowa State played last year. And last year, through two games, they'd given up six sacks and uh, a few quarterback hurries this year they've given up one sack through um, the same two games and not obviously exactly the same personnel on defense that they're facing but one sack and I think five quarterback hurries and so they've kept 
uh, Park clean for the most part. He's, you know, maybe had to be on the run a little bit, but uh, they've mostly allowed him to be comfortable back there, which has been, I think, a big reason that, you know, he's been able to find some success. He's got now, I think, six six touchdowns to two interceptions. The interception against you and I was just a, a really bad mistake by him trying to do too much, I think. Um, was at the end of the first half, if I remember correctly, yeah. or in a situation yeah. where he was just trying to score quick. And then the one against Iowa was maybe it was a bad play. For me, it's hard to tell when I watched the replay. Um, the, the, he had someone, a receiver open across the middle, and it was just kind of jumped. The timing was the worst part about it, when it happened in the game, I thought. And, and the it, position right. being backed up inside right. where they were. If it happened at midfield, maybe it, it wouldn't have been as bad. But for the most part, he hasn't made too many mistakes this year. He's thrown the ball away, which that's actually what Tom Manning said in between these games when we talked to him was the biggest difference he's seen from Park isn't necessarily the throw he's, he's making, it's the throws he's not making because in the past he was kind of like that Brett Favre guy that would you know just do the shovel pass if he had to and maybe you make mistakes doing that. He's thrown more balls away this year. He, he, he was on the run once on Saturday and he threw the ball away instead of maybe he could have probably forced it somewhere and made a mistake. But that's one thing with him is he hasn't made as many mistakes um, there. But I guess, are there any other thoughts on the Iowa game? I think we've covered most of it. I mean, defensively, you mentioned Marcel Spears, and he had 17 tackles, and that's an interesting story of how far he's come from being in the 2015 class, redshirting, playing special teams last year. We had never seen him on a depth chart until July, and then all of a sudden he's been a guy that's got six tackles, 17. But it's not just the tackle numbers. You're going to rack up tackles as a linebacker maybe against that team. You have to make the plays, but – not to downgrade what he did, but he, it just seems like you notice him out there in a good way. Athletically, he's getting across the field, and he just looks like it. If he can be consistent linebacker, um, that he just looks like he can be a good guy for them in the coming years. You know, because he is just a sophomore. Yeah, I thought he he obviously looked really good, and it was interesting talking to him after the game. He talked about meeting with defensive coordinator John Haycock. I think it was in between. Um, maybe he's in between winter workouts and spring ball, but it was it was in the winter, and he went into his office to meet with him, and he wouldn't go into details necessarily about the, what their conversation was, but he said um, Haycock had some words that really kind of went straight to his heart a little bit, and he really kind of took some things to heart and, and used that in spring ball to kind of uh, not help motivate, but, but inspire him a little bit and, and kind of help him see the light on what his role could be and what he could add to the defense. And that's kind of when you started to see a little bit more from him. And then uh, Matt Campbell talked about him this fall too, about how he's just become this guy that they can really lean, uh, lean on within the defense and how he's he's athletic and can make those plays at linebacker. So I thought um, it, he played really well, and if he can continue that, that that's only good to have solid linebacking core. And Joel Lanning had 11 tackles too. Um, you know, there are these plays he left out there as well that Wadley, um, the catch that ended up going for the touchdown at the end of the game. Like I said, he said he'd re- remember that one for, for the rest of his life or for the rest of his career, whatever it was. But um, it, he's I think it's a thing. He's getting more comfortable, and, and it's just that's a thing that takes time. It's hard to make that adjustment. But uh, I thought um, there were positives on the defense too, even though they gave up uh, as many yards as they did in, in the points. But, um, again, it comes down to those, those detailed things that they'll have to fix for Akron and beyond. Yeah, Lanning's thing, I don't think it's physical. It's mostly he just makes mistakes because he's in the wrong spot, which, you know, is part of just being inexperienced. And I don't know if that's – to be honest, I don't know if that would be fixed fully throughout this year. I mean, he's – this is his – he's got 
10, maybe 11 games left, and then he's done. It'd be nice for them if he was a junior and then maybe by a senior he'd be more comfortable. But he's probably going to always be learning on the fly through this year, and you just hope he doesn't make too many mistakes like that because athletically, you know, he can make plays, and it seems like he, he's doing well in that way. But he's just sometimes in the wrong position, and that hurts them the most. But, yeah, defensively, I think they need to get more pressure. They got some pressure against Northern Iowa. They just didn't connect at times. They'd get there and – it did turn into an interception maybe too against you and I because of the pressure. They probably need to get a little bit more pressure. I think Vernell Trent and Ray Lima have looked good, but they haven't got as much pressure from the edges so far, um, just two games in. And then uh, it'll be interesting. Kamari Cottonmore obviously left the game sometime in the second half. I didn't know the exact time, but that I thought hurt them for sure on the Akron Wadley 46-yard touchdown. And um, I'm kind of leaning towards he won't play against Akron. But he might. Campbell said he's kind of questionable, but they don't think it's long term. If he doesn't play against Akron, at least they have a bye week before Texas, and that gives him a couple weeks um, to get what Campbell said is a minor shoulder injury. So we'll see what happens there. But they they need him back because their safeties did drop off a little bit when he wasn't out there, which is to be expected um, for I think the level he plays at. So defensively, I think there's they're definitely a better team defensively. But I think there's still issues out there, obviously. They need to get more pressure. And like you said with the yards, John Haycock's talked about that. In this day and age, you can't go as much about yards. And that's kind of true. I mean, you see them rack up yards, but they got to force some turnovers. Against you and I, they force some turnovers. Against Iowa, those yards, for the most part, all turned into points instead of limiting some drives where, you know, gave up some third down opportunities. They gave up a couple of thir- long third down opportunities, like 18-yard gains on thirds. The screen pass really hurt them in that game. So there's still some things, but they do look a lot better, I think, um, and have potential to be better. But we'll really find out maybe in big, when Big 12 play comes along and it's a different style of offense. So I guess, you know, moving on then to Akron, Iowa State's now 1-1, one and, one, and we talked about how much the storylines change in that particular game. It's too early to predict a bowl game and stuff, but I think it's crazy to think what we'd be talking about now going into this game if they had won. If they're 2-0, and people are all of a sudden, you know, they beat Akron, they're 3-0, and and that sets them up well. You know, the years they've went 3-0, and they've, you know, tended to have that bowl berth success. Now, all of a sudden, if they need to beat Akron to get to 2-1 and and then, you know, find a win somewhere, I think, in most people's minds. So, that even that kind of storyline changed a little bit, but... Iowa State does go to Akron the first time they've ever met, and they opened as a nine and a half point favorite. Which um, I got to think this team's going to come out offensively and uh, really open it up, and maybe win by more than nine, more than uh, nine or ten. Yeah, I think this is the game again, kind of what Matt Campbell said, where you can really you can see how different this Iowa State team is. Do they come out? Are they? Do they? You know, go and dominate this game? Do they kind of put it away and out of reach at a you know? late in the first half or early in the second half because I think that's really kind of the key to see how much they have changed is if they can overcome some of those things that kept them from winning Iowa can they correct them and and kind of build build on that because the offensive performance uh, you know overall was was good against Iowa and the defensive performance uh, you know was mostly good too so can they come out and kind of put away a team that they they do have more talent than um, and and play a clean, sound game. I think that's that's the biggest thing for this. It's not really necessarily about the challenges that Akron poses, but can Iowa State do what it does well and and kind of um, you know overpower them that way? Yeah, and Akron's not terrible. They're not right. playing. Yeah, Akron so far, uh, you know, they're not 
an incredible one of the incredible MAC teams you know that we've seen in years past where you know Toledo's obviously had success in Western Michigan they're not that but they're not this easy pushover so far they've played Penn State and that game um, they really struggled in you know Penn State those are top 10 team they lost 52 to nothing and they totaled only 159 yards of offense and um, they really struggled in that game then they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff 52 to three but Arkansas Pine Bluff is in like the Southwest Athletic Conference and they've won three games total in the last now three two plus years um, and it's, what I'm trying to say is I would say it's not playing Arkansas Pine Bluff that bad of a team but you know Akron isn't one of the dominant MAC teams I think it's a game they have to win um, if they want to have any idea of a bowl game but it's not necessarily they're going in there and they're gonna for sure win a game especially when we see what they did on the road against Toledo or um, the fact that it's not at Jack Trice Stadium but the interesting thing to me about Akron though so far is um, obviously they struggled against Penn State like I said they only had 159 yards of offense but uh, they scored 52 points on 464 yards of offense against Arkansas Pine Bluff so they really obviously capitalized on those but um, you know, they, they don't pass for a ton of yards through two games. They've only they've passed for less than 300 yards. You know, most of their work against Arkansas Pine Bluff, um, 267 of those yards were on the ground. So um, passing game, you know, you, you wouldn't really expect them to do much passing-wise because they didn't really do much against Arkansas Pine Bluff. And that's the one you got to kind of focus on because Penn State just kind of shut them down across the board. And that's kind of what I was saying, too, about how they rebound because – um, you know, and then you kind of helped me a little bit there. They they aren't a, a terrible team like like an Arkansas Pine Bluff, but it is a team you on paper are better than. You got to come out and and be clicking um, like you were against Iowa at least in the first half offensively or you know throughout the game and minus the drops. But uh, it's it's going to be a, a you know another kind of uh, challenge for the defensive line. Can they come in and hold the running game down a little bit? Because like you said. I think the quarterback has only thrown 44 times in two games and um, like less than 300 yards, like you mentioned. So it, can you come in? Can you be sound in your assignments and in, in the gaps in the front seven? Um, can you contain the edges a little bit? I think that's that's the biggest thing for this game, uh, at least defensively, to kind of try to sh- slow down that offense um, a little bit and that running back and, and make the quarterback uncomfortable. One thing that would be interesting, I think, throughout the week is the familiarity of Matt Campbell and his staff, you know, they've coached against this staff and this program, obviously, when they're at Toledo. So there's probably, obviously, some familiarity there, and um, I'm sure that'll help them. But, you know, Akron probably knows a little bit of what Matt Campbell's tendencies are as well. But interesting that there's just some familiarity there. The two programs, as far as I could tell, um, you know, from the media guy, they've never played each other. They'll play each other in consecutive years this year, and then Akron comes to Ames in 2018. Um, This was scheduled before Matt Campbell uh, obviously was ever the coach at Iowa State, but uh, it takes David Montgomery and Deshante Jones and some of those guys back to Ohio. Uh, Jeterius Grant is from Akron, Ohio, actually, and he um, has been uh, not a key contributor yet. He's just a redshirt uh, freshman. I think he could be one of their main safeties next year, but he, he was he's a key special teams guy so far this year. So some of those guys, especially Montgomery and Deshante Jones, you think probably going to have a lot of family there, and um, maybe this is a game where Montgomery, we've already seen him kind of break out, but uh, offensively, I just think most fans probably they're not going to be very happy if it's just this seven to ten point win. I think they want to see the type of a big offensive showing, you know, the forty-one type points that they've had in these first couple games, where the offense just kind of doesn't make mistakes, clicks, and defensively 
um, they continue to show some improvement. I think that's the type of game they need to have going into that bye week. You don't want to win. They want. They just want to win. You know, they want want to be two and one out of non conference because that's what sets you up best to get to that bowl game. But a dominating type one, at least one where there's points on the board and offensively things are clicking, I think is the one that will make people feel best when they don't get to watch football for the next 10 days, whatever it is, till that Texas game on that Thursday night. Yeah, it just makes it, from anybody that has any doubts, it just would make it kind of feel or look like you're back on track a little bit to come out and really just have a good showing, continue that, that offensive production that you've had. Jacob Park continue to play well. Dave Montgomery run well. And then the defense grow up a little bit and you know Ray Lima and Vernell Trent have done really well in the middle as as that group kind of tries to to come together a little bit and and you know learn to play alongside each other and as Joel Lanning continues to um, learn and improve at linebacker and all those things in the front seven so just the, the biggest thing is to to clean up the the little things come out play well and um, you know really that's that's kind of all you're asking for or would need in this game so it will be interesting to see kind of what we hear throughout the week and then what we see on Saturday well I think that probably touches on basically everything I, there's probably more we go into in depth but um, we've touched on most of the Cyhawk happenings and, and the Akron game so um, that'll do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop, and uh, I guess we'll find out what what kind of direction they go in because that was Matt Campbell's biggest question is what direction does this team go in after that kind of loss to Iowa. So um, kickoff 11 a.m. in Akron, and uh, I think it's on CBS Sportsnet, so it uh, gives you some time to make sure you have that channel or somewhere that does. So thanks for joining us on this edition of the Cyclone Scoop.